All right. Well, uh, if you got your Bibles, uh, we are actually not going to be in the Gospel of John today. Um, so as we start the month of February, um, I normally like to take a break from the Gospel of John every uh, couple of chapters or so. I know January and December were kind of strange because we had Christmas and uh, we had uh, Houston come in and speak. And so we've had some different things, but we're kind of at a point where we, we take a short break before getting back into the Gospel of John. Uh, and so with February starting, uh, love is in the air. It's a conversation that a lot of people are having with uh, Valentine's Day approaching slowly. Uh, I, I, although if you went to Walmart, you would think that Valentine's Day started in December because that's when they started taking all their stuff out. And um, so we are going to be going into a series called Understanding Love. And um, in this series, I, I, I want us to take an assessment on looking at biblical love and, and what does that look like for, for us as believers and how is that expressed well biblically. And all this is, is drawn from Matthew chapter 22, verses 36 through 40. Because as we've gone through the Gospel of John, one of the things you've probably noticed is you probably have noticed this idea that, uh, one, how loving God is for sending His Son but also what it means for us as Christians to extend that love out to others. And so in Matthew twenty-two thirty-six through 40, uh, it says this, Teacher, which is the greatest commandment of the law? And he said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. And so in this passage, Jesus is being presented with a question that's meant to stump him. This was not a question of authenticity or one that was a genuine ask. It was asked by someone who knew the law to try to get Jesus to say something that, was, that, was, that could discredit him or get him in trouble. But what does Jesus do? Jesus gives him an answer that is completely what he was not expecting. It didn't work with him. He tells them that everything in the law, everything that they are commanded to do by God, falls under two categories. Loving God and loving others. That is at the baseline of what we should be doing as Christians. When we are, are, are looking at God's Word and looking to see how we are to live, how we are to interact with God, how we are to interact with others, everything that we are called to do falls under two categories, loving God and loving others. And you may think those things are mutually exclusive, but in reality, they're not. Because, for example, to love people well is a reflection of the love that, that you have for God in your heart. To love God well means that you're going to love people well. First John chapter, chapter 4 is going to teach us some of that this morning. And so what I wanted to do was I wanted to, to look at, at this, this passage as a, as a baseline for what we're going to be studying for the next few weeks. Because I want us to take a look at what does it truly mean for us to love God and what does it truly mean for, for, for us to love others? Because that looks different in our circumstances, right? Some of us are married. Some of us are unmarried. Some of us are widows or widowers. Some of us work with a lot of people. Some of us are retired. Some of us have many friends and some of us have many acquaintances or, or people that we interact with and some of us don't get to interact with many people at all. 
So we have different circumstances. We have different relationships. And we've also, some of us have been walking with God longer than others. And maybe for some, they, it, it, a walk has just started or the walk hasn't begun. But wherever you're at, with whatever relationships, whatever circumstances you're in, whatever time in the walk with the Lord that you're in, we all need to learn what it means for us to, to love God well and to love others well. And that starts with learning about the foundation of love. Where does this all come from? And that is what we're going to be looking at this morning. So if you've got your Bibles, turn to 1 John chapter 4, verses 7-21. through 21 as we look at our baseline and our foundation for understanding love. 1 John chapter 4, verses 7-21. through 21. And if you don't know where it is, it's a really easy book to find. I'm going I'm to teach you something that's, that's pretty interesting. All right, so if you got your Bibles, okay? This is my Bible, as you can tell. We're very close to the end. Uh, the last four books of the Bible were all written by the Apostle John. So it's 1 John, 2 John, 3 John, then Revelation. So if you ever want to find one of John's other letters, simply go all the way back to the back of the Bible. Uh, sorry? Jude. Oh, my bad. Sorry. <laughs> wow, look at, I had all this point laid out and everything. Thank you for the correction of that. Sorry. Jude. <laughs> and then we have, we have Revelation. So anyways, if you want to find 1 John, just go all the way back, find Revelation, work your way forward. Uh, and you'll find it eventually. So thank you, all. thank you, David and Victoria, for that. Uh, anyways, First John, chapter four, verses seven to twenty-one says this: Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. And whoever love loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us that God sent His only Son into the world so that we might live through Him. In this is love. Not that we have loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be a propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us and His love is perfected in us. By this we know that we abide in Him and He in us, because He has given us His Spirit. And we have seen and testified that the Father has sent His Son to be the Savior of the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in Him and He in God. So we have come to know and to believe that the love that God has for us, God is love, and whoever abides in His love abides in God, and God abides in Him. By this is love perfected with us, so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment. Because as He is, so also we are in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has, been, has not been perfected in love. We love because He first loved us. If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother, whom he has not seen, cannot love God, whom he has not seen. And this, is the, and this commandment we have from him, whoever loves God must also love his brother. Will you pray with me this morning? God, we are grateful for this morning. God, we are 
We pray that You would help us to love well. God, to love You well, to love others well, and to understand, Father, what, what You meant through Your Son when He said that the greatest commandment is to love God and love others. God, help us to understand what that means for us as believers. God, help us to see how to implement that in our lives, in our walks with You. God, help us to understand what it means to truly love. God, not a love that this world pushes on us that is, that is filled with an earning of love or God that's filled with love that can be shallow or God that can be dependent on action. But God, help our love to be authentic. Help our love to be founded in You. God, help our love to, to not be something that, that requires something in return. But God, that is given freely. God, I pray that You would be with me this morning as I preach. God, I pray that You'd be with this Word, that it would pierce our hearts and God transform us from the inside out. So God, we thank You for today. We thank You for all that You do. It's Your Son's holy and precious name I pray. Amen. So in, in looking at uh, this passage, one of the things that I'm, I'm, I'm reminded of, and I shared this with the, our, our church on Wednesday night whenever we were looking at 1 Corinthians and looking at love, is that the love that is, is described in the Bible is much different than the love that our, our world pushes towards one another. You know, I think a lot of the, the love that we experience in, in our world can be, can be good to an extent, but I think the reality is a lot of it is, is very circumstantial or a lot of it is based on earning love, right? It's a lot of love that we are given in, in our lives apart from God seems like it's almost an, an earned love. And the thing about God's love is that it's a love that is unearned. God's love is, is patient and kind, and I'm not going to go through that whole passage in 1 Corinthians, but the reality is God's love is so unique and so massive and so amazing that whenever I say today as this text describes that you can't understand love without knowing God, that may seem a little strange because as human beings, we're capable of feeling love, right? You and I, even before we became Christians, understood to an extent the concept of love, right? We, we would tell our moms or dads that we loved them. We would tell other people that we loved them. But the love that God has and the love that we are to express to others as Christians goes far beyond just our emotional feeling of love. And my hope for this morning is as we look at this text, as we look to understand love, that you understand how this love is greater than any love that you and I can produce on our own. And I hope that you see that in 1 John, and I hope that you see the ultimate example of God's true, unwavering, wonderful love for you and I. So, as we look at 1 John, one of the things that we have to understand about, uh, about this book is that it is written by the same John that we've been studying for the last few months. So a lot of the words, a lot of the outline of the text is very similar to what we've seen in the Gospel of John. There's words that he uses throughout his Gospel that we see also in this letter. So this book may seem kind of familiar to some of y'all. Actually, if you look at the contents of it, if you look at the wording, it kind of feels like it fits right into what we've been talking about. The only difference is he, he is talking to a specific group of people with this letter rather than just generally what the Gospel of John has been giving us. 
I mean, really, you could probably put this section right after what we just read in John chapter 6, and it fits right in. I love the way that John writes. This is why for a lot of seminaries, whenever they go through their Greek class for students to learn and understand Greek, they start with one of John's letters because they're easy to interpret and they're consistent throughout all of them. And so John is writing this book, or not this book, this letter, and this, this book can be summarized by this statement. Christians are to be in fellowship with one another through the love of God, and they are to be united by faith. So John wrote this letter because the, the people he were writing to were, were facing a lot of false teachers. They were facing a lot of division amongst their own body. They were really struggling with infighting with one another and with those who per, were proclaiming Christ. And so John writes this letter to give them this this idea of, hey, this is what love truly is, and this is what it means to be united in faith and by the gospel. And so this portion of 1 John is one of the more popular in this book, and this section focuses on God's love and what it means for us in both our faith and our practice. And so understanding that context as we walk through this helps us to understand what it is that John is trying to teach us here in this passage. So let's look at this. So the first few verses, I'm, gonna, I'm calling the foundation of love. So this can be broken down into four different segments. This first segment, verses 7 through 10, is the foundation of love, and that is God. And so John begins this statement by giving us an idea of what all of this is about. Again, John is great at giving us summary statements. So he starts at the very beginning, giving us this statement that's going to encompass everything else that he's about to teach us. And first and foremost, that love is from God. Love is from God. And whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Meaning that if God is love, then those who know the Lord, those who believe in Him, those who trust in Him, know what love is. And that someone who is not born of God, someone who is not a Christian, can't fully fathom and understand love. What do I mean by that? Well, we are made in God's image, meaning that we are made like God, but we are not God. So in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. He created man in his image, meaning that we are a lot like God. We are a reflection, but we are not ourselves God. But then sin came in and sin distorted that image. Think of a mirror that you've seen that is imperfect, that is distorted and altered or maybe even a little cracked it still shows a reflection but that reflection contains brokenness and so for example god gave us emotions god gave us the emotion of of love he gave us the ability to to fear he gave us these different emotions that maybe maybe other creatures don't experience or don't fully fathom or comprehend however our emotions are imperfect I think about fear, for example, right? Fear uh, is actually, you know, some people say that's a, a, a behavior or emotion that is really uh, wrong and should be out of everybody. But honestly, there is such a good thing as healthy fear. Fear is what keeps a lot of human beings alive. And what helps us to know, oh, that's bad, I shouldn't touch that. Or, oh, maybe I shouldn't walk this close to the edge of a cliff, right? There's a, there's a right fear that God has built in us to keep us safe and to keep our bodies safe. However, Fear can become sinful because we begin to fear the wrong things. 
We go from having a healthy fear of our environment to things to keep our bodies safe to then going to fearing people, to fear what other people think of us, to fear what our own image looks like, what our own pride looks like. Fear can become distorted and can become sinful and can cause us to sin. And the same bodes true for love. By God's grace, He has given us the ability to love one another. Right? If I look at two non-believers who have been married for a long time and they say they love each other, I, part of me feels like, well, they, they do. There is a common grace to that, to love. But their love is imperfect because it doesn't come from the one who makes love perfect in us. And so John makes this statement that love comes from God. And God shows love not only in the way that we can comprehend, but so much more. So how does God love us? Well, God loves us in His sovereignty, in the way that He creates all things, He controls all things. God shows us His love in that way that He has everything in our lives within His hand. Both the good things and the bad things, He uses those for our good and His glory. And sometimes that's hard for us to think about because when we think of love, maybe our world teaches us that love is you do everything kind and nice for a person and that's what love is. But that's not always what love is, right? We have several people in this room that are parents. I'm a parent. My, my wife's a parent. We, we have children. And if our kids are doing something they shouldn't be doing, we discipline them. That's a good and loving thing to do. It's unloving for us to spoil our children. It's unloving for us to let them do whatever they want because that's not correct. That doesn't help them to grow and to good, uh, uh, those that, in, that can produce good in society and those that grow to know and love the Lord. Right? Like if, if my kid's about to get a fork and a toaster and put it in, it's right for me to make sure that that fork gets out of their hand as fast as possible and tell them no, right? But we, we have this idea in our mind that, that when, when God is supposed to love us, He's supposed to give us everything we want. He's supposed to give us the riches. He's supposed to give us an easy life. He's supposed to give us everything that our hearts desire. But we have to remember that our desires are sinful. They're not always in the right place. Yes, we have good desires in our lives, but we also have desires that aren't so good. And God in His mercy and His love for us, He allows us to walk through difficult things to teach us and to draw us closer to Him. God as our good and heavenly Father also may discipline us too to allow us to experience the full consequence of our sin. You know, we look at the Old Testament, for example, and there's some people that just say, oh, well, God is so unloving because in the Old Testament, He's just all fire and brimstone and God's wrath, but God is the same God in the Old Testament that He is in the New Testament. He's the same God. And He does all things out of love for you and for me. And so God loves us in His sovereignty in the way that He's in control of all things and over all things. The next is God loved us first. Before the foundation of the world, God loved you and me. Before we were knitted together in our mother's wombs, He loved us. As much as I love my kids, as much as I love my wife, I know that God loves them more. He is more capable of love than I ever could be. God loves us by blessing us with this thing called common grace. What this is, is you know we look at non-believers in the world and they experience what's called common grace, meaning it's a grace that God instows on all people, both believers and non-believers. Right? The fact that we get to breathe the fact that we can have community with one another, the fact that we are, are given 
things to help us make food and shelter. These are common graces that God gives us to experience certain blessings in our lives and in our world and, and for us to not face immediate punishment for our sins. Like I think about, for example, uh, we're, we're reading through uh, this reading plan called the Bible Recap and we are in Exodus right now. And in Exodus, um, one of the things I never really thought about with Exodus or with Joseph's story was the fact that God in his love for, for even just the Egyptians, he kept them safe during the famine, right? The Egyptians were enemies to God. They, were, they, they hated God. They, they worshiped other gods. But God in his mercy and his love for even them used Joseph to warn them of a famine so that the, that nation would be saved. This is a nation that would end up enslaving his people for 400 years, but yet God still extended mercy and grace onto them. Now, it's kind of hard to understand the full extent of common grace. And common grace is not a saving one. But it is one that God gives all of us through his love for us. And then lastly, God loved us by sending us his son. He loved us by sending us his son. And we flesh that out a little bit further on in this text. But even God in the act of sending Jesus is, is the greatest example of love we can have in Scripture. There's nothing that can trump that. God's love goes far and beyond any earthly love that we may experience here. And so when we understand that God is love, He shows perfect love, a love that is genuine and true. And so in order for us to truly understand and express genuine love, we must know God. We can't truly understand and know this love what it means to experience this love, what it means to show this love to others without having the Spirit residing in us. We've been built to experience and express love, but this love goes far beyond anything that we could do. It's a love that can only be known by those who love the Lord and are equipped with the Spirit. And so then we look at this, the end of this passage. He gives us this example of Jesus as the ultimate example of love. Jesus, his life and his death and his resurrection were all an example of love. God in his love for us sent his son, Jesus, to die for us. And Jesus didn't just show up immediately, die, get resurrected and then leave. Jesus lived a perfect life. He suffered and endured things in this world that he didn't have to. He was not born of riches and glory, but he was born into poverty. Jesus have experienced tiredness. Jesus experienced pain. Jesus experienced what it, what it felt like to get rejected and to be betrayed by those you love. Jesus walked through all those things. And then he was sent on the cross to die a death that, that he didn't deserve. There were other criminals that died on the cross next to him. They committed crimes that in that time warranted their deaths. Jesus sat in the middle of them and didn't deserve anything that he received. But he willingly went to the cross because he loves us so much that through believing and trusting in him, because of his death on the cross, we have salvation and we can experience a new life in him. And it's one that, that none of us earned. It's like you giving up the thing that you love the most for someone who hates you the most and expecting nothing else in return. Amplify that by a million, and that's what you have with the cross. He's the ultimate example of love. And that's why when we talk about love, 
pointing to Jesus is the ultimate example of that. Even when we talk about relationships with other people, when we talk about loving other people, we talk about Jesus' humility. When we talk about marriage, right? In Ephesians chapter 5, we talk about Jesus' relationship with Christ in the church because Jesus is the ultimate example of God's love and an example that we should seek to imitate in our own lives. So this next part of this passage, 11 through 16, um, is a love that is not only demonstrated, but is, is an abiding love. It's a love that abides in us as we abide in God. Now we're told that because God loved us, that we are to love one another. And this is not a worldly kind of love that can sometimes be shallow. And again, I say that as a generality because I do know that for many of us in this room that, that are maybe are, are newer to the Christian faith or have walked with Christ for a while, you can confidently say that you loved somebody even before you became a Christian. But the reality is becoming a Christian, becoming a follower of Christ changes that love. It changes the way you see it. It changes the way you experience it. It changes the way you understand it because of God's love in you. And the kind of love that John is referring to here is the kind of love that can only come from someone who abides in God and God abides in them. Now, what does that mean? Another word for abide means to remain. And this word is all over the Gospel of John. And we're just getting into that. John 15 is just around the corner and there's a, there's a ton on what it means to abide. But here's what it means. To abide means that you remain in Christ and Christ remains in you. It means that you trust Jesus and Jesus resides in you through His Spirit. It's in through this abiding and remaining relationship. It's, it's, that's how we not only experience this authentic, earth-shattering love, but it's also how we express it too. Love that comes from us is evidence that God abides in us. Love that comes from us is evidence that God abides in us. If we are to say that we want to love God and love others, it starts with us first becoming Christians. We cannot even begin to fathom what it means to love others and to love God in a way that is reflective of the cross and reflective of the way that God loves us selflessly and, and more than we could ever do on our own. It first starts with us being Christians putting our faith and trust in Christ. It is only through abiding in God and He in us that we are able to experience and show the kind of love that He calls us to. It's the kind of love that is reflective of the love and sacrifice of God. And John calls the love of a Christian evidence of our faith. So my question for you this morning, church, is can someone see the way you love and see God abiding in you? Can someone look at the way that you love other people whether they be people you know or people that are strangers to you, does the way you love people reflect the way God loves people? John is arguing that if we call ourselves Christ followers, then it should. Our love should be different than the love that our world has for one another. It should be sacrificial, not self-seeking. It should be kind and merciful. It should be almost like a supernatural love. So then we have verses 17 through 18, which verses 17 through 18 kind of seem like it's a, it's, a, it's a strange verse in this because you have all these things about the gospel. You have all these things about how God is love and how it's by knowing God that we can experience true love and express it to others. But then there's verses 17 through 18 that talk about fear. 
And that part seems a little strange, but I kind of, I love the phrasing that John has in this. John is such a great wordsmith. I want to reread it because I'll just, I love the way he phrases this. By this is love perfected with us so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment because as he is also, we are in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear for fear has to do with punishment. And whoever fears has not been perfected in love. What is he talking about? What fear is he referring to? He's referring to the fear of where we go when we die. He's talking about standing before judgment. The time where God looks at our hearts and assess where we are and where we're going to be. We know that as Christ followers, when we stand before God, that he doesn't see us in our brokenness, he sees his son. And it's only through His Son that you're able to spend eternal life with Him, meaning that you have nothing to fear on the day of judgment. But for those who don't know the Lord, for those that don't have that abiding love in them, it becomes a much more scarier circumstance. Because when it comes to our deeds and our actions, they don't amount enough to admit us into eternal life with God. That's why we need Jesus. It's not based on what we do or how well of a life we lived. Listen, there are a lot of great people that lived amazing lives in Scripture, but their deeds alone are not enough to admit them into heaven, to admit them into eternal life with God. That's why we need Jesus. And what he's saying is that for those that know the Lord, for those that have that love abiding in them, they have nothing to fear when they stand before God on the day of judgment. They have nothing to fear because God is abiding in them. Nothing to fear. How does, that, how does that reflect in the rest of their life? How is it that perfect love casts out fear? What does that mean? Well, it changes the way that you and I live. It changes the way we interact with others. It changes the way that we see ourselves and our own perception. It means that we adopt this attitude like Paul when Paul says to live as Christ and to die as gain. Meaning that no matter what happens to you in this life, you win. It's a win-win. Right? You have nothing to fear. Physically, your body is going to break down someday and physically someday you may die. But when you belong to Christ, that means you get to be with Him in eternity. And for you to live on this earth as long as God has you, because you have the love of God living in you, you get to experience a joy and a strength in the Lord walking with you through matter, no matter what circumstance you're in. It's a win-win. And it's something that... that helps us to overcome any fear that we may have. A fear of what may happen to us on this earth. A fear of any illnesses or ailments that we have. A fear of what other people may do, what other people may think of us. We have nothing to fear when God abides in us. And perfect love casts out that fear. Now, that's something we may still struggle with. Right? Some of us struggle with anxiety and fear, and, and it's, it's, a, it's a natural struggle for us. But just know this, that when you belong to the Lord, when you stand before Him, you have nothing to fear. Because for those that trust in Him and have faith in Him, you are promised eternal life. Not because of your actions, but because of the love of Christ. But then we have this last part in verses 19-21. And this is kind of going to be a reflection of how we are to love others. And he says this, he gives us something clear to walk away from or to walk away with this. Love comes from God. 
And true love can only be known by knowing God. And knowing God causes us to learn true love and express it. So, what John is arguing here is that if we say we love God, then we have to love other people. If he says, or if we say that we love God and we believe that God abides in us, then we should be loving other people. But here's the reality. And what John is saying is kind of scary. If we say we love God, but we hate other people, then the question has to remain, then does the love of God truly abide in us? And you can give me every excuse in the book that you want to say why you may hate somebody. But the reality is, our sin, our depravity, our brokenness against God is more than what any harm any human being on this earth could do to us. I think back to the kind of uh, stories of forgiveness that are just so inspiring and amazing and one of which in particular I remember uh, in my seminary days, I read about a story about this uh, little boy who was, um, who was nearly killed uh, by this man. And uh, this, this little boy was, was permanently disabled because of it. He was blind. Uh, he lost one of his limbs. It was a really rough and tragic story. Well, this, this man ended up spending the rest of his life in prison and uh, uh, began to, he, he got cancer and he was uh, at the hospital and this little boy who then become a man went to find him and he forgave him and he sat with him day in and day out and the man became a Christian and then he went to go be with the Lord. And that's the kind of love that we are supposed to have for other people. This is the kind of love that we're supposed to have for those that, that maybe even wish harm on us. When we look at the way that, that Jesus loves others he loved both the people that he died for and both the people that put him on the cross because they're all one and the same. We are all in need of Jesus. We are all at one point were enemies of God, but he came in pursuit of us and saved us. That's the kind of love that we are to have for one another. A love that in our worldly sense doesn't make any sense. It's a love that is radical. It is a love that, that not only turns, not 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 the phrasing of turn the other cheek, but literally gives our enemies a coat to wear to, to saturate them with love. So abounding, so amazing that they can't help but to see that this love comes from something different and unique. And the whole point of all of this is so that not people look at us and look at how amazing we are, but rather they look to us and see how amazing God is and how amazing that, that God's love is for them and for us. So this is the foundation of love, church. This is where it all begins. It begins with knowing God and loving Him. It's through those things that we can begin to understand what it means to pursue God more and what it means to love others well. So will you do this? Will you pray with me as we have our time of invitation and response? Lord, we thank You so much for today. God, we are grateful for the love of Your Son. We are grateful for your love, God, that you would send Jesus to, to live among us in the flesh, to suffer, to be beaten, to be broken, God, to be rejected, Father, to be placed on the cross for those that he came to die for. God, I pray that you would help us to love in a way that reflects that. God, that our love would be sacrificial and not self-seeking. God, that our love would be reflected of you, God, full of humility. 
And God, a love that is kind, a love that is, that is beyond what we can do on our own. God, I pray that you would help us in our own hearts to learn what it means to love you in that way to those around you. And God, I pray as we walk through this series, as we seek to understand love, God, that we would look at ways we can implement that love in our own lives. God, I pray that you would forgive us when we fail you in that. And God, we are grateful for your love for us. God, I pray over this time of invitation, God, for anyone that, Father, may be wrestling with this truth or, or wrestling what it means to love others and to love you well. God, I pray that if there's anyone they need to talk to or any prayer they need, Father, that they, would, they wouldn't leave without talking to somebody or, or having someone pray with them. God, we thank you for who you are. We thank you for your son. It's in his name we pray. Amen.